The Luck of Roaring Camp by Bret Hart There was commotion in Roaring Camp. It could not have been a fight, for in 1850 that was not novel enough to have called together the entire settlement. The ditches and claims were not only deserted, but Total's Grocery had contributed its gamblers, who, it will be remembered, calmly continued their game the day that French Pete and Kanaka Joe shot each other to death over the bar in the front room. The whole camp was collected before a rude cabin on the outer edge of the clearing. Conversation was carried on in a low tone, but the name of a woman was frequently repeated. It was a name familiar enough in the camp, Cherokee Sal. Perhaps the less said of her, the better. She was a coarse and, it is to be feared, a very sinful woman. But, at the time, she was the only woman in Roaring Camp, and was just then lying in sore extremity, when she most needed the ministration of her own sex. Dissolute, abandoned, and irreclaimable, she was yet suffering a martyrdom hard enough to bear even when veiled by sympathizing womanhood, but now terrible in her loneliness. The primal curse had come to her and that original isolation which must have made the punishment of the first transgression so dreadful. It was perhaps part of the expiation of her sin that, at a moment, when she most lacked her sex's intuitive tenderness and care, she met only the half-contemptuous faces of her masculine associates. Yet, a few of the spectators were, I think, touched by her sufferings. Sandy Tipton thought it was rough on Sal, and, in the contemplation of her condition, for a moment, rose superior to the fact that he had an ace and two bowers in his sleeve. It will be seen also that the situation was novel. Deaths were by no means uncommon in Roaring Camp, but a birth was a new thing. People had been dismissed the camp effectively, finally, and with no possibility of return. But this was the first time that anybody had been introduced ab initio. Hence the excitement. You go in there, Stumpy, said a prominent citizen known as Kentuck. Address one of the loungers. Go in there and see what you can do. You've had experience in them things. Perhaps there was a fitness in the selection. Stumpy, in other climes, had been the putative head of two families. In fact, it was owing to some legal informality in these proceedings that Roaring Camp, a city of refuge, was indebted to his company. The crowd approved the choice, and Stumpy was wise enough to bow to the majority. The door closed on the extempore, surgeon and midwife, and Roaring Camp sat down outside, smoked its pipe, and awaited the issue. The assemblage numbered about a hundred men, one or two of these were actual fugitives from justice, some were criminal, 
and all were reckless. Physically, they exhibited no indication of their past lives and character. The greatest scamp had a Raphael face with a profusion of blonde hair. Oakhurst, a gambler, had the melancholy air and intellectual abstraction of a Hamlet. The coolest and most courageous man was scarcely over five feet in height, with a soft voice and an embarrassed, timid manner. The term roughs applied to them was a distinction rather than a definition. Perhaps in the minor details of fingers, toes, ears, etc., the camp may have been deficient, but these slight omissions did not detract from their aggregate force. The strongest man had but three fingers on his right hand. The best shot had but one eye. Such was the physical aspect of the men that were dispersed around the cabin. The camp lay in a triangular valley between two hills and a river. The only outlet was a steep trail over the summit of a hill that faced the cabin now illuminated by the rising moon. The suffering woman might have seen it from the rude bank whereon she lay, seen it winding like a silver thread until it was lost in the stars above. A fire of withered pine boughs added sociability to the gathering. By degrees, the natural levity of Roaring Camp returned. Bets were freely offered and taken regarding the result, three to five that Sal would get through with it, even that the child would survive, side bets as to the sex and complexion of the coming stranger. In the midst of an excited discussion, an exclamation came from those nearest the door, and the camp stopped to listen. Above the swaying and moaning of the pines, the swift rush of the river and the crackling of the fire rose a sharp, querulous cry, a cry unlike anything heard before in the camp. The pines stopped moaning, the river ceased to rush, and the fire to crackle. It seemed as if nature had stopped to listen too.